just thought I'd wave to get your attention. Yep. Well, where are we? We are right here, I guess. Uh, we are going to go through this little list, checklist. Welcome, everyone, to Cap Camp Tapawingo. Is this anybody's first time at Camp Tapawingo? Wow. First-timers, congratulations. You are, I'm glad you're here. I hope you're enjoying your week. This is junior high week one. I'll leave on Friday the way some of you guys will. This is my only week at camp. This is probably some of y'all's only week at camp. So God crossed her past. Junior high week one, the theme is walk on the wild side. And yeah, that's me, Mr. Edgar. I'll show you a picture of my family right here. They are, no, that's not a picture of my family. Uh, despite his parents, reassurances, Bill couldn't shake the nagging suspicion he might be adopted. In case you don't see him, let me put the other picture up on the other side. I'll give you a double vision here, and you say, okay, uh, I still don't see what you're talking about. Let me give you a slight clue. Here's the slight clue. Here's the clue. Right here's Bill, a circling. Make him in red there, will you? Yeah, there's, there's. Bill knew he was adopted. He still felt part of the family, though. Here's the other thing that sometimes we as campers do. And we at sometimes church do. You, uh, I know some of y'all, oh, I never do this. No, I just put that up there and let you laugh. You know, Bill's not adopted. He's just part of the Penguin family. I like a guy, hey, forget Bill. Look down here. This is the way some of y'all are with y'all's family. Look, oh, well, you know, it's like crazy here. Yeah, two guys that are just about as strange as a cat. But here's the other thing. Some of you sort of talk about people. You ever, this is an embarrassing thing. Check his next one out. You'll be right around church and you'll be standing just like that and then the moment when you realize the person you've been talking about is standing right behind you. Look at that right there. That's you at church right there. Yeah, and the black cat comes up. You go, uh, I wasn't talking about you. I know your name's Edgar Moser and I said Edgar Moser, but I wasn't really talking about you. You just happen to have the same first name and last name of the guy I was talking about. Yeah. Right now. No, I'm just kidding. I just want you to have fun. So let me ask you this question. And speaking of having fun, how many of you went whitewater rafting today? See, I went with you just to have, we didn't drown anybody, only lost two. But anyway, they're still in the river. They weren't drowned. How many people went horseback riding? But, yay. Anybody do this thing right here? Okay. How many of you went? Whitewater rafting with a horse in a cave. No, I'm just kidding. Anybody else um, think of my favorite thing? It's not digging in a cave. No, I mean, it might be nice. I might try. Here's my favorite thing. It's uh, coming to chapel. That's where we're in right now. I thought I'd put the church up. That's called Epsom Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. And uh, that house with the green on it, the shutters, that's where my son and his wife live. How far would they have to walk to church? Yeah, it's raining, I can't come. You know, that's some people. Sometimes I'm a little impatient with people when they say, oh, it's raining, I couldn't come to church. I feel like saying, was it raining on Calvary? You know, Jesus would have been there anyway. Here's where Andy and Lindsay live, and uh, there's Andy and Lindsay. So uh, they're the lovely couple and live in Auckland, New Zealand. I don't know that I can do an Auckland, New Zealand accent, but... Uh, Anybody remember the crocodile hunter? So, uh, yeah. I don't know if he's crazy or brave, but I watched a crocodile hunter on one of those episodes. He got out of the vehicle and he walked to a swamp. We're in the middle of the night now. Swamp, middle of the night, there might be danger there. But that wasn't enough. He got out of the vehicle. His wife was with him. That's it, killed the whole family. But anyway, he had his wife with him, a little daughter, and everything. You know, it's like, let's go. and he said, All right, we're going into this swamp in the middle of the night, and we're going to look for poisonous snakes. Poisonous snakes in the swamp at nighttime. Mm, I'm in the car with the windows rolled up right now. But anyway, so he walked neck deep. You say, that's fake. I don't know how much fake he could be. He's in the water up to his neck, going like this, walking through there. And he says, all right, right over here on the bank. He pulled back a rock, and there it is. Reaches in, picks him up. Oh, right there's one. Now, look at this one. The cameraman is going like this, trying to film him, and his hold right there. That wasn't the worst thing he did. Picked up one, it was a spitting cobra one time. You know, if you spit venom in your eyes, you'll go blind. Okay. He goes, Roy, here's a spitting cobra. If he was to spit into my face, like, whoa, right there. Spit right. He says, that was close. Why are you holding him? I would say, can I borrow that snake? Just, 
Broke his neck, throw him away. Two ways to handle a snake, hoe handle shotgun. I just don't want to hold him like that. Maybe you could, you know, <laughs> make him longer. <laughs> snake. I hate snakes, but anyway, I'm not the crocodile hunter, but uh, we had fun in our whitewater rafting today. I'm glad that you were along. Okay, what else do I have fun doing? This right here. Giving you a top secret. It's not really an FBI folder, but anyway, I just thought I'd stick it up there. Let me show you the top secret. I've been looking at a book here lately. Uh, it's called Out of the Depths. It's not necessarily a Christian book. I just like to read it. But, well, it is written by a Christian and contains Christian things, but it wasn't, it's not like Max Licato. But he's got my first name, so I thought that was cool. His name is Edgar Harrell, United States Marine Corps. He's retired now, but he happened to uh, be on this ship. And it says, An unforgettable World War II story of survival, courage, and the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. That's his ship. What happened to the USS Annapolis? Well, I'll give you a little bit of a background on it. They were on a secret mission. They said, here's what we want you to do. Would you carry this, put it in your ship. Would you carry this precious cargo to a certain place, a naval base, United States Naval Base, drop it off and come back. Now, it's so secret, we can't tell anybody that you're going. We can't tell anybody that you're coming back. You're in a way on your own. It's almost like if you get caught, sorry. So they packed up the ship, and they carried the stuff down to the, the base, Air Force Base, Naval Base there. They're all working together. They drop it off. They're on their way back. They were told by intelligence that they wouldn't have any trouble getting back, that nobody knew they were coming back. Trouble is, somebody did know they were coming back, the Japanese. Um, the Japanese hunted them down. Here's the story of this secret mission. This is USS Indianapolis. In their waters... The USS Indianapolis had a crew of almost 1,200 people. And this crew of 1,197 people, what else about the ship? Well, she was the flagship for Admiral Raymond Sprantz while he commanded the 5th Fleet. He wasn't the captain of the ship. He was just the admiral over that 1st Fleet. There were only two ships made like this. They were flagships. Well, Charles B. McVeigh III was the captain. And so he was told... Nobody's going to really know you're coming back. It's so secret, you can get back without any trouble. Well, that would have been nice, but that wasn't the case. She was involved in the war against Japan, so a Japanese sub came up and spotted her coming back. She probably wasn't a few miles almost in close to getting back where it would have been safe waters. Here's what she delivered. Some plutonium to make a bomb for the first atomic bomb. Can you imagine if they would have torpedoed her before she delivered that? Yeah. As it was, they made the atomic bomb, and that ended World War II, and some people don't like that. Personally, I don't like, you know, killing either, but I do believe that was the thing to do because by ending the war, you say, well, gosh, they lost a couple thousand. If the war would have kept on, we'd have lost more than a couple thousand. So they delivered it on the way back. On July the 30th, 1945, the ship was torpedoed by a Japanese submarine sinking in 12 minutes. Look how big that ship is, and in 12 minutes it was gone. Of 1,197 crewmen aboard, 300 people went down with the ship instantly. You say, okay, 300 from 1,200. What happened to the other 900? I'll show you. You talk about torture. This guy relates this in this book. Of these 900 people of that 1,200 crew, they faced exposure, dehydration, saltwater poisoning, shark attacks while floating with a few lifeboats and almost no food or water. Here's what he writes. This is a man that's on the boat, so it's no secondhand information. July the 30th, 1945, the USS Indianapolis, and it's, this book says it's a 1,196-man crew, so I'm not sure whether that one, I will look that up on a couple sources. Here's what he says, uh, the ship's sailing unescorted. Why couldn't they have two ships? They usually put a frigate ship with a big one because that draws too much attention. So they're by themselves, assured by headquarters that the waters are safe. It's midnight. And Marine Edgar Harold and several others have sacked out on deck rather than be down in the ship. Why? Because it's too hot. So they're actually sleeping on the deck of the ship. Good thing they were. In the bottom of the ship, those are the 300 people that died instantly. He's spending the night 
on the deck because it's hot and muggy quarters below. Fresh off of a top secret mission to deliver uranium, I said plutonium a minute ago probably, uranium for the atomic bombs that would ultimately end World War II, they are unaware that their ship is being watched. Minutes later, six torpedoes are slicing toward the Indy. For five horrifying days and nights after their ship went down, Harold and his shipmates had to fend for themselves in the open seas. Plagued by dehydration, they don't have any water, exposure, saltwater poisoning, and shark attacks, their numbers were cruelly depleted before they were miraculously rescued. This is one man's story of courage, ingenuity, and faith. You say, well, what really happened? Here's the inside flap cover. This alone just makes me want to... This man's still alive, lives in North Carolina. I would love to shake the man's hand. He said, to keep us all together through the massive crest of waves that would just toss us back and forth, our dividing little group and dwindling little group formed a circle, and we fastened each other. Remember those guys that went whitewater rafting with me today? We got life jackets. He said they fastened their life jackets together because when you doze off, at least you'd have somebody beside you. And he said, so they were in a circle with life jackets, the ones that had life jackets. He said, if you didn't, we tried to just tie something onto you so that you wouldn't drift off. Those who didn't have a life jacket just hung on to someone who did. As their bodies baked in the open sea, we began to realize that the sun was transitioning from friend to foe. It soon not only burned us, it blistered us. Anybody ever been sunburned so bad you blister? And it just pops, and then it itches, and then the skin's like, oh, please just don't touch my misery. He's like this for four days in the hot sun just getting, there's nothing. He said we'd take our clothes, try to tie a hat over our head just to try to, protect us it soon did he said we squinted so much that our eyes soon felt like they were burnt mm. it soon blistered our previously chilled and now exposed flesh we tore our clothing to make protective hoods but the ultraviolet rays reflecting off the water still managed to find our skin the bright glare forced us to squint our eyes until our facial muscles became ultimately exhausted our eyes then stayed open and burned from the caustic saltwater waves that constantly splashed us in the face. Later on that first day, around dusk, we had company. Wasn't a rescue ship. To our horror, we saw several large black dorsal friends cutting through the water and starting to circle us. I won't tell you the rest of his story, but uh, how exciting would that be? Not exciting, it's like, please find us. Well, here's how they were found. A PV-1 Ventura plane that was on a routine patrol just flew over them, spotted some people bobbing up down the water. That's the first time they knew of them. They didn't know where they were up to that point. Four days? Can you imagine four days? I mean, if I go to the mall and I've got a little son, he oh, look right there, next thing I know, hmm, where's Johnny? Well, I'll look for him in four days. You can't do that. You're going to instantly, they didn't even look for him. It's so secretive they thought, we're just going to let it be. They'll show up sooner or later. They did but only 300 of them showed up later. So 300 out of a crew of 1,200, that means, yeah, only 25% made the cut. 25%, he's one of them, still living. 25%, that's the worst Navy disaster of all time. Can anybody think of one of the worst maritime disasters of all time? What would that be? Might be, yeah, because here's one disaster I thought of too. Yeah, of the USS Indianapolis, in 20 days, this ship, here's a disaster to me. You say, well, I know you told us about the ship. No, here's a real disaster. In 20 days, this ship would go down. What difference does that make? On July the 10th, they took this, snapped this picture before they started their secret mission. So on July the 10th, if I could go on that boat, it's supposed to call it a ship, I understand. And this guy right here, Ronnie, Howard, Johnny, Luke, all these guys right up here and say, guys, y'all going to die in 20 days. You think they'd still go on the ship? I don't know. Maybe would. Well, what do you know? Why don't you tell me about who I'm going to? I'm going anyway. Okay? I just thought I'd tell you. Uh, some people would say, even if I die, I'm going to go. Some people would say, I don't believe you. So whatever excuse, some people would still go. Others, are you sure? You positive in 20 days? We're going to go down? Yeah, you're going to get sliced by six torpedoes. I don't think I'm going. Some people would choose to believe me. So here's my question for you to begin with about this. If you knew 
If you knew, what would you say to the sailors and the crew of Indianapolis if you knew what was going to happen in 20 days? Say, don't go. Please let me warn you. Okay. And you might do that. Same as you might warn these guys. What kind of ship's coming up next? Well, of the impending doom, a man decided to warn people, and they didn't listen to him. That was the ship. That's called the ark. Yeah, Noah... He let them know not three days, not 20 days. He let them know for 120 years. And Noah, Mrs. Noah, Ham, Sham, Japheth, and their three wives, eight people got on that ship. Nobody else came with them. So if this would have been the Indianapolis, so to speak, and Noah says, you have got to, we're going to get torpedoed here. No, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Guys, if y'all don't get on this boat, not, nothing doing. Now, that's a biblical account. You got a ship like that. Let me go back and get the one you mentioned a minute ago. Here's this ship. The worst thing, they wouldn't listen. Noah tried to warn them, got the animals, to pr got everything going. They still didn't believe him. The people didn't believe this guy either. It's an amazing story of one of the people. He's a priest. He gets on this ship and they stop and about just before they go up into the cold waters, he gets off at that stop. He was one of the last people to leave the, the ship. Wow. See, some people like that, I'm just thinking, God, you must have your hand on it. Or why does God allow that? I don't know. I'm going to get to heaven. You can ask him. But God's got a purpose. My son Andy, when he got married, uh, a guy, a man, pastor, did the ceremony. It wasn't me. I got to just be his dad that day. That was good with me. But Tim Grimes was the pastor. He's, uh, he, Andy knows him through the Air Force, United States Air Force. And Andy's in the Air Force Auxiliary with the Civil Air Patrol. So they met. Andy got to meet him talked to him. He says, would you be the... He said, sure. So he married Andy and Lindsay. Andy started talking to Tim and he said, I'm a commercial pilot, but I'm also in the reserve of the Air Force. So he said, I, when I go into work, unless the Air Force calls me, I just, you know, I go into work, but if the Air Force really needs me, they'll pull me off of that job. He was getting ready on around September the 11th, hmm, 2001, to get ready to go to work to fly Flight 93. The Air Force called him and said, we're going to pull you out of that so you don't fly 93. That's the one that went down into the field in Pennsylvania. He was supposed to be the pilot of that ship, pilot of the plane. They pulled him off of that and said, no, we want to let you go serve active duty today, so we're going to pull you out of the reserve. Don't fly that plane. You'd think, wow. Where do you think they sent him to do active duty at? Pentagon. He pulled up in the parking lot got out of his car and the plane, plane went across his head and crashed into the Pentagon. So I'm supposed to be on Flight 93 and I wasn't. I'm supposed to be in the Pentagon, but I'm running late. That should have been me in there. So the man's, some people, he dodged death twice. No, for whatever reason, God had his hand on him. God got some people off of this ship before it went down. But unfortunately, a lot of people stayed on there. Even the architect of the ship, the one that created this, the one that designed it, this is a Titanic on April the 14th, 1912. Despite the fact somebody said, God can't even what? Sink this ship. Wow, won't you just shake your fist in his face? God, you can't do this. Well, God's God. Here's what happened to this ship. Of the 2,224 passengers, 1,500 of them died. That only left about 37% of the and what was sad about this, the lifeboats ahead wouldn't even fit half those people. Of the 2,224 people, they only had lifeboats for roughly about 1,200. And trouble is, with the 1,200, they only had about four or 500 that actually left in a lifeboat. So they had lifeboats with three or four in them. But they had protocol back then. This is a British ship. That's Royal, Royal Majesty's service up there. The protocol was this. Who's the first two groups of people that get to go? Yeah. Women and the children. Women and the children. Let the women go and the children go. While they're waiting on the women and children to go, nobody goes. It's like, why don't you just jump in the ship? Can't do it. So the ship would push off a little rowboat, lifeboat would ship off with about three people in it. Should have been having 20 in there. Wow, what are you doing? So everybody just stays behind. But then I got the other one, one more. We're not in the Pacific Ocean like the Indianapolis. We're not in the cold Arctic waters. We're not in the Atlantic, icy waters there. I'm going to put you in a lake somewhere. You'll go to a lake tomorrow. Watauga Lake is not quite as big as Superior Lake up in Michigan. There's the Five Finger Lakes. The biggest freshwater body of water in the United States, Lake Superior. 
Here's what happened in Lake Superior. Nothing can happen. Sharks can't be in that. Nothing can hit. Hmm. Well, till that, well, you can't now because they're gone. The Edmund Fitzgerald crew, this is a big old tanker. Had 29 people, and on November the 10th, 1975, the captain said, I'm going to leave, and they said, really, gale forces are kicking up here. It's going to be a storm. I can make it. So he takes off, and the ship behind him says, we're having trouble even seeing you right now. And then their ship, the captain of the ship behind him said a wave covered him up. It's probably about 50 feet. He said it washed over the deck. The ship went down, and he said we buoyed back up. Surprisingly, he said, I thought we were going to go down and stay down. We buoyed back up, and all the water went right back over the top of the ship. This ship in front of them, the water went over them, crested. must have been, you know, who knows? Some people think it's 40 or 50. Some people think it can. So you got gale force winds of 70 knots, and you got a 70-foot wave that goes over top of you. It actually capsized this ship. And so here's what happened with the Edmund Fitzgerald. 29 men were lost. The whole crew died. The ship went down broke apart on the bottom of Lake Superior. So what's the survival rate of that? None. So we lose 100% of the people. Titanic, we lose 67%. And the poor Indianapolis people, golly, 75% of the people are gone. I want to show you this ship again, though. I can make a difference, though. I'm not with the USS Indianapolis. I'm not with the Titanic. And I'm not with the Edmunds Fitzgerald. But I can tell you a story about Noah. Oh, that story's already occurred. I got news for you. It's almost going to occur again. Really? How's that going to be? Well, I'll show you. It's really a simple story. Noah tried to warn the people of the coming danger, but they just wouldn't listen to him. Would you find Genesis chapter 5? You say, I know this story. Hang on now. I'm going to tell you some things that you might not know. Out of the same story that you've heard a hundred times, Noah is going to tell you a story tonight. Genesis chapter 5. Just turn to that. Genesis chapter 5, and as the story goes, this is how it reads. Genesis chapter 5, it's in the first book of the Bible, so y'all can probably find that one real easy. Genesis chapter 5. Well, I'll really go. Chapter 6. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them that chose. The Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever. Another way to say that, I won't always strive with you. Now, some people don't like that verse, but I actually think it's good. Right now, some people may be going through a certain thing. To, it's like you got to pick a time you know when it's best just to drop back and say, Okay, that's... I mean, if I worked at a job, I was just miserable all the time. And people say, are you happy? No, I'm miserable. This job's about to drive me crazy. Then maybe common sense, stop it then because you're more important than that. No, I can't. And you stay there forever and you die miserable. God even says i got a stopping point. If you miss that right there, he says, I won't always strive with man. Sooner or later, I'm going to stop this life. So he says, it's his time. His days will be 120. That's what Noah... And he says, I'm going to send a flood to them. They give you an account of Noah. Go down to Noah was a righteous man, verse 9, blameless, upright in the people. He trusted God. He, the Bible says he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. So the earth was corrupt. God said, I want you to build me a boat. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. By some wild chance... Does anybody know where a replica of the ark is? Yes. So is it around someplace close? Yes. So they've got one in Sweden, got one sort of closer. Is it in Tennessee? Kentucky? They've got... I was thinking they're actually, believe it or not, supposed to be building one, not in Dollywood necessarily, but close. Actually, you know, so they've got one, several all over the world, but they've got a couple that are actually replicas. You can walk on and see how big this is. Where did they get the measurements from? Right here. They use the Bible. Imagine that. Here's the blueprints for it. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Told him how to build it. Chapter 7, verse 1, The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous. Take with you seven of every kind of... Clean animal, why? Because he's going to make sacrifices on the ark. 
and he keeps naming and you say, okay, I know the story of the ark. So he builds it and he takes everyone in. People probably laughed at those of the Titanic saying, God can't sink this. People laughed at the people of Edmund Fitzgerald saying, and bless her heart, the USS Indianapolis with Edgar Harrell on there, I can't believe. He said that we were supposed to be able to come back in safe to home with nothing going wrong. Well, today, I have a feeling if I told you the story of knowing you say, I understand it and I believe it. There's a lot of people that would and they think this is fake. They think it's all like, mm, and they in search of Noah's Ark. Liberty University had a team that actually went to Mount, where did the ark land? Mount what? Ararat. You can tell I've memorized it. I pick up a rat and air him out. That's why I do that. That's how I have it. We walk through the Bible sometimes using signs. This is Mount Ararat because I'm airing a rat. On top of Mount Ararat, they found things, so they dig down and try. You can only do it at certain times of the year, but they actually try to find parts. Of, I believe it happened. I believe the Bible, but some people don't. So it's like, how can I convince them? Well, we're sure like in the days of Noah then, right? Check out this next thing then. Let me show you something. When you look at Genesis 6 and 7, you're going to see a story of an ark. I want you to flip over to Matthew. Say, what does Matthew have to do with Noah's ark? You'll see. Now this is the part that applies to you. No, I'm not building an ark. And no, it's right up here, Matthew 24. I want to show you something that it's a little bit different than these ship disasters. Because I can do something about it. I can warn you right now. Matthew chapter 24. Some of you probably got a title on this chapter in your Bible. Some of you might have this, Signs of the End of the Age. Anybody got that? Jesus is telling you what's coming. He's giving you the forecast for the Edmund Fitzgerald. There's going to be a 70-foot gale that will turn this ship over. We're going to go into it anyway. Titanic, you're going into icy waters. you got 16 watertight holes. Water, iceberg, going to rip through about six of them. If you don't know, they had about a four or five inch steel hull. Space, another four or five inch steel. So you got a foot thick steel and then ice tore through that. If you say, well, ice can't be that hard. Well, yeah, I mean, you've been an ice cube before and probably, you know, felt like you're going to break teeth out. If you've ever fell and hit ice, if you've been ice skating or anything else, ice can be hard. I mean, water itself, forget the ice, water will deflect a bullet. So ice is hard. So yeah, I can, but to tear through a foot steel. So if I warned you of those things, so if I said, USS Indianapolis, you're in, the ba you're in a dangerous place. The Japanese are going to bomb this. They're going to torpedo you. I can't help those disasters. I can't help one right now. We're sitting in a crew right here. This is the crew. And you say, okay, we're, we're a crew. Yeah, we're not going to get on the Indianapolis. It's not outside. We're not going to get on the Edmund Fitzgerald or the Titanic. But just think if I said there was a boat outside and it's called an ark. And I said, okay, we've got to get on there. What's it take? What, how much the how much the ticket cost? It's free. It's free? Yeah, somebody's already paid for it. And we're going to go out there and get on this ark, and you'll be safe from impending danger. I don't know about that. Genesis, I mean, Matthew chapter 24 backs up the story in Genesis. Look at the first verse. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I'll tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And he starts, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came up to him. And by the way, when Jesus Christ comes back and steps foot on this earth, it's going to be on the Mount of Olives. They said it's going to be a split in the ground. They would call that a, so like an earthquake or a tremor. And they said, geologists have actually said the ground's weak there. They said something could hit it and it could be a split. I believe that's going to be his foot. He's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. He says, watch out that nobody deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. They'll try to deceive you. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. We do that right now, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things going to happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes. Wow. So he's telling you what it's going to be like. Now look at this verse 36. No one knows about the day of hour. No one knows that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. This is Jesus speaking. As it was in the days of who? Noah. Why did he pick Noah? 
because he's going to show these guys in the New Testament a parallel that's in the Old Testament. Just like Noah tried to warn everybody to get on an ark to be safe, Jesus says, I'm going to warn you to get on to an ark and be safe. Wow, what a great teacher. He just, just as in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, you know, just like every day, up until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. No one knew that the Titanic was going to sink. No one knew that Edmund Fitzgerald would go down. No one on the USS Indianapolis had a clue as to when that first torpedo hit, wonder what went through their mind. This can't be happening. He said, no one's going to know until it happens. They knew nothing what would happen until the flood will come and take them away. That's what he said, referring back to as in the days of Noah. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other one left. Two women will be grinding with the hand mill. One will be taken, one will be left. I think that's the rapture that he's describing. What's the rapture? It's an event that Jesus Christ will call us and we can be taken in a moment and those that are saved, raptured out. I've heard critics say, well, the word rapture is never found in the Bible. The word trinity is not found in the Bible either, but I believe in the trinity. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So I believe in 1 Thessalonians 4, it tells you about this leaving of the people. I believe that's rapture. Jesus said it's going to happen. I believe people will be in their everyday living and then suddenly, boom, where's Uncle Bob at? I haven't seen him for a while. I think Jesus just now took him out of this earth. Who's going to be left? Only people that are lost. It's going to be a scary time. Well, what ark? I don't see an ark. Keep reading, I'll show you. Want to be taken, want to be left. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. Hmm. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known, if the people of Indianapolis had known, if the owner of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, what time the torpedo was going to hit, he would have kept watch. He would not have left his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Can I show you what the ark is? Let's read down through here. This is the ark right here. You say, okay, what? The ark was in the Old Testament, and Noah said, you guys have got to come on and get on the ark. Nah, you're a crazy man. It's going to rain for 40 days, 40 nights. It's never rained before, Noah. Why should it rain now? Just trust me. No, we don't. And remember when Noah was on the ark? He finally, you don't have to go back to it. Trust me, you can look it up later if you want to. But it said God was about to let it rain. No one would believe Noah. No one would come on. And finally it says the door went. Who shut the door? I love that. Noah did not decide. If I would have been on that ark, I would have said, please come on. I will pick you up and drag you on it. God says, no, you can't. Don't force them on the ark. I can't force you to get saved. I can't. Look, pastor, here's a volunteer. You're breaking his arm behind him. You can't do that. That's not a volunteer. That's called a kidnapping. You can't do that. I can't force you to get on the ark. Noah said, please come on. All at once, Noah looks like, what's happening? God shut the door. Noah's probably going up at the top of the ark. Please, get on the ark. You're crazy. And the water starts to hit. And now, this would have been a horrifying time. I think people, some people are actually sitting there pounding on the ark. We believe you now. You mean when the water is up over your neck, you believe? <laughs> That's not called belief. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What's evidence? Well, in a court trial they say, Exhibit A, Your Honor, here's evidence. But I can't see it. Well, that's sort of like this. If somebody says, prove to me God exists, and they call, Edgar Moser, please come to the stand. I sit down, they say, prove God exists. Well, really, I can't prove it, but I'm evidence that he does. Why? Evidence of things not seen. I'm evidence because, as the song lyrics say, you ask me how I know he lives, what? He lives within my heart. Well, we don't believe you. I'm just telling you that's where he lives. So in the days of Noah, they didn't want to believe. The ark goes shut. And people, as the water lifts, they're gone. Well, what's this ark? Jesus Christ says, I'm the ark, so to speak. And here's what, if you don't understand that, uh, Jesus actually used the terminology. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me. 
I don't understand that. Well, if you come into me, if you invite me, if I, I'm saying, come on, I'm inviting you, come to me, I will live in you. The Holy Spirit now lives within me as a confirmation. Come into me, all you that weary and heavy laden. Noah said, would you come into me? Now, Noah, did they believe him? Nope. Lots of people didn't believe Jesus either. They thought he was one of three things. He's either a lunatic, that means he's crazy. If he wasn't crazy, what else could he have been? He could have actually been the Lord that he says he was. He's either a lunatic, he's the Lord, or a liar. And some people said, oh, I'll, this shows you the thinking that some of the disciples or some of the Pharisees, excuse me, said. Pharisees said, you just now cast a demon out of somebody and you did that by the power of Satan. Jesus in everyday language basically said this, if I am of Satan, why would I cast Satan out of him? Well, you do have a good point, but we don't believe you. You're lying. Matter of fact, we even think you're crazy. They picked up stones to throw at him, so a lot of people thought he was a lunatic or he's a liar. Some people said, Simon Peter, he said, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're, you're the son of God. All right, now here's how you get saved. If at that moment you say, I believe that you are Jesus Christ, still not saved. I believe that you died for me. I believe that your death on the cross paid for my sins. I believe all that's true, and that's a gift. I now receive the gift. I trust you. Boom. That split second. You're saved in a second, and you grow for a lifetime. Does that make sense? You are saved in a... Jesus, it's the thief on the cross, remember me. I think he was saved in that split second. I think he was saved in a split second. I believe he was... God even confirmed it. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. What confirmation is that? So Jesus tonight is saying, would you come into the ark? Who's the ark? Well, I'm sort of like an ark coming to me. Here's what Noah said. Noah no doubt told people to come into the ark and be saved, but they wouldn't come. I don't want to come into the ark. Okay, stay away. What else? Well, I'm, I would like to picture it this way too. People needed to believe what Noah said. I don't think they did. When he built that boat, that would have been evidence. But they still didn't think the floods would come. People needed to believe what Noah said. They needed to trust that the ark would save them. Now, what if that old ark was built, you know, rickety, and the water was coming through? Then they wouldn't. But the Bible says he covered it with a thing called pitch, which would be like our modern-day tar. So he built the ark full of good, strong timbers. He covered it with the inside and out. So... Do you believe what I say? Noah would ask him. Some people would say, mm, no. Do you believe this boat is built strong? Maybe built strong, but I, some people wouldn't even trust the boat. I don't trust you, Noah. I don't trust your boat. I don't trust your way to get me to safety, and I'm not going to enter the ark. Jesus says this. Would you believe that? Would you trust me? Would you believe what I said? And some people say, I do believe what you said. Number two, would you trust me that I can save you? Would you trust this ark? I think so. Would you enter into the ark? Yes. And some people are saved that way. Others have still said, mm, I don't know. So can you tell a, a comparison right here? I don't know whether Jesus will come back tonight or in the morning. But... If you say, just as in the days of Noah, Noah has an ark, people enter into it. Just as in the days of Jesus, people trusted him. Now, vault us to this today, right now, this night, in June. We're not in the days of Noah. We don't have Jesus personally here, but we do have Jesus talk to us. And Jesus is sort of like an ark, and he's asking you, would you come into me? I don't know. Just like these people questioned that built, just like people in Jesus' day didn't like him. Keep reading in Matthew chapter 24. He says, Therefore keep watch. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing what he's supposed to be doing when he returns. Are you doing what Jesus wants you to do when you return? So really my lesson is pretty simple tonight. Can I give you this reminder then? You say, I, I believe in Noah. I believe he built an ark and people entered it. I believe Jesus Christ and he is the ark and people entering. 
and I believe that that offer still stands right now. Um, since it's maritime disaster, you don't have to turn to it, but I'm going to give you a reminder of a minor prophet. This man was a, I would call him a sailor. Again, you don't have to turn to it. His name is Jonah. Jonah's not going to enter the Indianapolis. He's not going to enter the Edmund Fitzgerald or the Titanic, but he enters a boat. Now, why am I mentioning Jonah? Because some of you in here have entered the Ark of Jesus. And that's a scary thing that if you haven't. Remember I told you it was a girl that came forward, a young woman came forward this past Sunday just at LifePoint Church. She got saved. She asked Jesus. She said, I just, she could barely get words out. She said, yeah, I want to accept Jesus. I want to be saved. And it's funny that Taylor's brother, Trey, came forward back in November. And I talked about Jesus being an ark. And Trey come forward and he was saved, but he said, basically, I'm worried about my sister. He got the message. He didn't have to have it explained to him. He said, Mr. Moser, yeah, Taylor's not in the ark. Really? He said, no. See, he understood what I was saying. He's what he was saying, she's never trusted Jesus. She did this past Sunday. Who do you think was the first person to give her a hug? Her brother. It's like, oh. See, it's almost like we're talking in code. Taylor and Trey, I'm in the ark. <laughs> I'm in Jesus. Well, for those who accept Jesus, you say, I'm, I'm saved, I know that. But some of you in here are not, you're not lost. You say, I know Jesus, I'm just not strong for him. Then I guess you're like Jonah in this maritime disaster. Jonah is a Christian. Matter of fact, in the Bible, he's got this place of 12 people called a minor prophet. You bet he's God's servant. So God says, Jonah, I want to use you. Where the Lord came to Jonah and said, go to Amity, go to a great city called Nineveh and preach against it. And Jonah said, no. And he took off. I just almost laugh when I read these things. Jonah ran away from the Lord. He headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship might as well have been the Titanic to him. Edmund Fitzgerald. Might as well have been the USS Indianapolis. He's getting on a disaster ship here. He got on a ship, but I, I just find this next little phrase just precious. He went on the ship and he paid the fare. Why is that an odd thing? Maybe it just hits me. Does that bother anybody or catch anybody's attention? Jonah's running from God. Is that a sin? Yeah. <laughs> But he's not, i got to pay the money though. It almost makes me laugh sometimes that we're like that. We'll go rob a bank, get in a car, and not go to, we'll go the speed limit. You know, I don't, I want to speed. You just robbed a bank, you know, but it's all right. So you pick and choose what you want to do right. You know, I love so-and-so, just fill it in. Girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, you're always polite. Oh, I'm sorry, did I hurt your feelings? That's your boyfriend. Mom, on the other hand, dinner ready. I heard you. Rip her head off, but be kind to the person on the phone. Why don't, you, why don't you kind to mom? What's well, different? So you can be ugly to your parents and nice to your boyfriend? Is that how it's going? No, you can't. God ought to convict you of that. You say, it doesn't bother me. Then you're either numb or something's wrong. Jonah's numb right here to a certain degree. I can run from God and not feel bad, but I'd never think of being dishonest. So he pays the fare. Then he goes on to the ship thinking, I am running from God and God doesn't see me. Another lightning bolt of stupidity. You're hiding from God? We do sometimes the same thing, though. I said this one time in, in when I was at camp years ago, and a, and a guy just sort of later, it's like, how do you know that? <laughs> if you've got something that you're trying to hide, some people just pull up the mattress, shove it under there. I don't know if that's your Playboy magazine or whatever. If you got porno on your phone. I teach summer school, and a girl show, looked at something on her phone one day. We called her up and said, listen, uh, we need the phone because obviously something's on it. I can't give you my phone. I should have thought it was a you know iron lung that she was breathing through, you know, a needle for a diabetic. You can't have my phone. <laughs> Principal said, I tell you what, you give us a phone or we'll kick you out of summer school. That's $285 down the drain. Guess what she chose to do? Kick me out. What is on your phone? Obviously, she didn't want us to see it, whatever it was. So were you hiding something? Wow, she's protecting that like. Are you okay? Somebody says to me right now, can you see my phone? Sure. i got a track phone. It costs $10 a month. I'll be glad to let you see it. I don't spend a lot of money on phones. 
but I'm not hiding anything. So if somebody took a picture right now and here's you, here's you when you're alone, you're not going to show that, are you? Yeah. Here's you with your mom and dad. Mom's gone. Horns come out the back. What can I do wrong? Jonah, God's gone. Yes. He takes off, run, jumps on a ship. God says, you really want to do this? If God would say this, we can either do this the easy way or the hard way, right? So chapter 2, he goes down and the last part of chapter 1, he says, the crew who's lost, says, what are you doing? I'm running from God. All the sailors became afraid at that. Why are you running from God? Why would you bring your problems to us? He says, well, I can tell you what you do. Just pitch me overboard. Very honest, man. Pitch me overboard and the storm will stop. No, we're going to do this. They tried their hardest to keep rowing. Some of us will try hard to do things like that. And we finally just say, okay, God, it's yours. And they tossed him over. Waves stopped. And now Jonah in chapter 2 is dying. He is one of the Indianapolis sailors getting baked sharks around so to speak only he's not got that he's drifting down so much that he writes in chapter 2 that he's getting entangled in what we would call seaweed he says my arms are getting locked in I can't move I'm getting that last breath I'm fighting for everything and like it's coming right here this is it I'm drowning I'm going to die right here this is a prophet of God now I don't know if you've ever done that I have just only a couple times in my life that I can remember I dove off a board one time which was pretty ignorant you know, and you, and you go up and then you time it just right. This next time I dove off the board, probably trying to show off, I didn't bring it up too soon. I just kept cutting the water until finally on the bottom of the pool I scrapped. There went my chest on the bottom. That means I'm at least about 10 or 12 feet deep. And then I came up about 4 feet and went, blew my air out. Trouble is, I still got 6 feet of water. I'm out of air, like, you know, coming through there, busted, like that. And all the people are like, ah, laugh. I'm okay. I planned that. I planned a near-death experience just before I came after the service. No, I didn't plan it. I had no idea that would be that way. Jonah is right there. He is choking to death. He's going to die within seconds. And God says, let me come get you. It's not the Andy sailors out there. It's just Jonah. And here he comes. Yeah, he's going to be. God brings a large fish to swallow Jonah and actually saved his life by doing so. Jonah's on his last second. I think his eyes are about to bulge out. He's getting, hey, I got some air. Yes. Wouldn't it be cool? God says, I got good news, got bad news. <laughs> good news, you got some air. Bad news, you inside a fish. Takes his flashlight out. That little hanging down part in the back of your throat. Looks back there. Okay. God, this ain't good. Now, Jonah's in a temporary ark. It saved him, but only for a little bit. Large fish belches him out, puts him back on the shoreline, and now he learns his lesson. Some of us choose temporary arcs. That means if I'm sad, just play music. If I'm sad, I'll hang around a lot of friends. If I'm this, you know, I just keep finding those are temporary things. But sooner or later, I just got to finally say, God, this is it. I don't want a temporary fix on a permanent fix. I need to enter the ark. Yeah, God saved Jonah. He's a backslidden Christian. So which one are you tonight? You either got to be backslidden or you don't know Jesus or you're in great shape. I don't know which one of those three categories you're in. So we close with, here's Jesus and here's what he would say. He would say, I will keep you safe. I will save you. I will keep you saved forever because Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when you're in a big old pond of water going down with seaweed wrapped around you, I will still save you. I'm with you. I hate that you're running, but I've got your attention now. Others of us, we've never entered the ark to begin with. You're like Trey's sister. That's what Trey says. Taylor's not in the ark. Let me paint the last thing, then we'll pray. All of us have done this at least once in life. It's sort of funny, but it's, I'm going to try to draw this to a close. I have laid down before, and you get ready to go to sleep, and you think everything's good. Now, and then the rain will start. You almost set up in bed, like, are the bikes up? Is the back door closed? Is this? And you start thinking, oh, is that out in the rain? Anybody ever done? You know. So we jump up from that and go out there. Okay, rain coming up. Yeah, oh, the car windows are already up. Bikes are already put up. I didn't even need to get up. 
but there's a little thought of you. Is anything outside? Right now, as Jesus speaks to you, some of you are like me in that storm. Is everything okay? Well, let's make sure it is. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, we're going to make sure everything's all right. It's almost like a storm hitting. We ought to be able to smile when the storm hits. Jesus, you of all people know our hearts. You know everyone in this place. And some of you have trusted you a long time ago. They've entered the ark. If it was in Noah's days, they'd be on that big ark with Noah and his family. They would not be the scoffers and the laughers still down there on the shore getting surprised by a heavy rain that's coming. And Jesus, now in the New Testament, you give us the same picture. I'm the ark. Would you come into me? Or oh, either laden, heavy laden, you laborous, you just work, and you work so hard for nothing. All you that labor and you're heavy laden, you're burdened, you're laboring, you're doing all those things, and it's, would you just come to me? And Jesus, some people chose to come to you. And so tonight, Jesus, we're taking Noah and we're taking you and we're putting this ark in front of you. An ark is a safe place. It's a dry place. You give us a picture of safety there. You will save us and never leave us. So Jesus, tonight, I pray that people could just picture you standing up here with your arms open and say, would you come into me? Would you enter the ark? And some people would choose to say no. They'll still be like in Noah's time. And they'll leave chapel tonight still not knowing you. And they're no different than the people of the Indianapolis. They'll be surprised one day to find that disaster is in front of them. Lord, I would hate for anyone to go to an awful place called hell. Hell's real. And so, Lord, you instill upon me to warn people. Well, what age should we be warned of as soon as we understand what hell is? Hell's an awful place prepared for the demons and the devil. Heaven's a place prepared, you say, you've gone to prepare a place for us that where you are we can be also if we'll but trust you. So, Jesus, tonight you're the ark. I want people to come to you. I want people to be safe inside of your love. But now, Jesus, I'm asking you to speak as only you can because it's not my words, it's your voice. And you might be tugging at a heart right now saying, come unto me. So it's their choice. And we think the Titanic's an awful thing, and it was. We think the Annapolis is awful. It's going to be even worse when a soul goes to hell knowing that they could have sat in a camp right here, right now, and said, Jesus, I'm yours, that's all I have to do. But no, they chose to say no again. Lord, it's a serious thing. So I pray that we, people would take just this moment and say, Lord, it is serious, isn't it? There's a difference between life and death. If we die without Jesus, we'll really spend an eternity away from him. If we die in Jesus, we'll spend an eternity with him. So Jesus, tonight you're the ark. You've put down the gangplank. You're inviting people to come into you. So I pray that they would do just that. I'm going to play a song, and while this song's playing, you can pray right where you are. Or you can come forward and pray with us. If somebody needs to, you know what?